It is your Thursday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back at it again for another day. Good show coming up. Lavelle Enil the third will join me here in a little while to talk twins, talk a little bit of Timberwolves, ask them some Vikings questions. We had a good back and forth about quarterbacks, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, we got a little gopher hockey stuff at the end, so it's kind of a, a smattering of things, but this is the kind of the time of year that requires a smattering of things because there is so much going on right now. Um, Lavelle and I did not talk about the Masters, but that's because I saved that for Jim Suhan, who's down in Augusta, also Star Tribune columnist. He'll join me here in just a minute to set up the start of that tournament, which begins today. A lot of intrigue, a lot of drama potentially ahead in these four days down at the Masters. Um, I'll get to a wild injury update, uh, a couple other uh, lingering stories, twins, uh, twins in action coming home now finally for for the opener on Friday. Uh, first, though, what did I miss? Um, it's a twin story, but it's not so much on the field as it is off the field. Now we've talked uh, many times over the you know the last couple years since this podcast started about the troubles of Bally Sports North parent company Diamond Sports. And the the ability or inability to get games on TV, and the coming kind of coming to a head with the financial implications of this last month when Diamond Sports filed for bankruptcy in bankruptcy court right now, seeking some protections and trying to reorganize. But in that process, um, some interesting developments coming to light. The first of which reported by the Business Journal earlier this week that they missed a payment to the Twins. Um, and uh, did not pay them at the start of this season for their 2023 contract. Now, they've paid some teams, haven't paid other teams while they undergo this reorganization. And what's interesting with the Twins is the Twins being in their last year of their contract with Bally Sports North, perhaps not seen as a essential party to, to Bally Sports North as they try to reorganize. So I think a little bit of jockeying gamesmanship going on here right now but that's a big deal for the twins because as i've reported before they make more than 40 million dollars a year from that local tv contract now if they reorganize at some point whether it's sooner or later and i think there there is there is an interest on their part to try something else in 2024 and beyond given a lot of the frustration they've had with Bally Sports North and not having the games available to a wide enough swath of audience. And Bally Sports North's subscription base has basically been cut in half in the last five years and a lot of factors for that. But that's got to be a frustration for the Twins. Is there a better distribution model to get games in front of more people who want to watch them? And what does that economic model look like? Well, it could be coming sooner rather than later because the Athletic reporting on Wednesday uh, this was one of their, I think, one of their national writers, Daniel Kaplan, reporting that uh, at Major League Baseball, on behalf of the Twins and the Cleveland Guardians, who also had their payment skipped by Bally Sports North by Diamond Sports, um, Major League Baseball has filed an emergency motion. Reading from the Athletic story in the Diamond Sports bankruptcy case, asking the court to make the company pay the Twins and Guardians or else. And basically they're saying if they don't pay them by April 13th, which is soon, that's a week from today, they're asking that that the uh, that the Diamond that the Diamond Sports either pays the Twins or Guardians or terminates the contracts so the teams can take over the broadcasts. That's doc- we're talking about a week from now. We're, we're at, they're asking for that by next week, this time next week. And I don't know 
how fast this is going to move. I don't know what the ruling in this will be, but it does underscore how quickly this kind of disruption is potentially accelerating. Now, again, things move fairly slowly in, in courts, generally bankruptcy courts. I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer. I have no real expertise here, but I do know that things tend to move kind of slowly in the courts. I don't think you're going to wake up next Thursday and see the twins on a different channel or, or have to figure out how you're going to watch them if you currently watch them on Bally Sports North. What I do know is it feels like this is getting more serious. When you're talking about court cases, temporary injunctions, People trying to force the issue one way or the other. Bally, maybe Bally and Diamond kind of forcing things one way by not making the payment. Obviously, that's their first action. And Major League Baseball, on behalf of the Twins and then the Guardians, forcing the action in the other direction, saying, hey, if you're not going to pay, uh, why should you get to show these games right now? You are benefiting from having these games on TV. You're getting the advertising. You're getting all this stuff. Why do you get to keep showing these games if you're not paying them, if you're missing these payments? Now, they do have... 15 days, I believe, to to make those payments. That's what's been reported in the Business Journal. But we will see where that goes. But to me, that is another step in how serious this is becoming. And I'm, I'm hoping to get to the bottom of this. I'm hoping to get some insights from Major League Baseball fairly soon into what the end game in all of this is, because I think this is a fascinating subject. This does not just involve baseball, but they are at the front and center of potentially a revolution in how you watch a major league sport. So we will see where this is headed, hoping to provide some more answers and context in the days and weeks to come. But right now, that is the latest update, and it is very interesting to me. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's bring in Jim Suhan again from Augusta, where he's covering the Masters in uh, fine fashion. About to get going here right now, Jim, but some storylines, of course. Um, The Masters is never short of storylines, but I think this year's, as you wrote today, uh, has a, has an element of intrigue that maybe past years don't have. Just a lot of different things swirling around, uh, including potential for for weather. What what do you what do you see right now as they're, as they're about to go off? What do you see as the biggest things to watch for right now? Yeah, let's let's start with the weather. The uh, original forecast for this week had a lot of rain over the weekend, including on Sunday. They haven't had a Monday finish here since 1983. The place drains incredibly well. They are willing to go off early on Sunday if they have to to get it in. First Masters I covered was 2005, and they played much of the third round on Sunday morning, and they still got the, the tournament in. And Tiger had the big comeback. Uh, right now, the the newest for weather forecasts are that it might not rain or rain much on Sunday. So I really think they're just going to get it in. Their goal is to be on prime time on CBS on Sunday night with handing out the green jacket. So they'll find a way. I mean, they you know they, they have more money than God, so they're probably going to tell God what to do, and it's all going to work out for them. Um, and by the way, it, the, the rumor around here is they spent about twenty five, twenty eight million. Uh, to move the 13th tee back. They bought land from the Augusta Country Club, which is adjacent to them. So they throw uh, they, they throw a few nickels around around here. Uh, but so I think the real weather concern is Friday afternoon, we are looking at probably some rain and maybe higher winds. So the people who go out late today might have a great advantage. Uh, they might get to play in nice warm weather today, 
get to round in tomorrow, maybe before rain starts or the winds pick up. And some of the people going out really late today are Spieth and Finau and Rory and Scheffler. You know, we can't be certain what the weather is going to turn out like, but there is a chance that they're going to have an advantage over the field. $25, $28 million will buy you about half a season of one primetime golfer in the Live Tour, won't it? Is that about, <laughs> about the going rate? Well, that, that's the, and that is the funny thing here is that probably the only people in the world who have more money than the Masters people are the Live people. And that, of course, is you know that of course is the storyline that that's dominated the week. And we talked about that some yesterday, but you made a good point before we started recording just now of kind of the the mental battle that go- golf is a you know at its core a, a mental struggle. You, it's just you; you have nobody else to blame when something goes wrong. And you add one more thing to it, which is this kind of rivalry now between these two tours, and something else for these guys to think about potentially. How do you think that plays out this week? I think that is the most interesting thing to watch in the first couple of rounds. And it could come into play in a final round too, but here you have like Cam Smith, who's a wonderful player. He wins the British last year. And then he basically says, I'm going to live. And everybody had always thought he was just a fun, you know, kind of, you know, I I always described him as the, uh, as the backup bass player in your local ACDC cover band. I mean, (laughs) Uh he's got, he's got the mullet. He's got the attitude. He was always funny. And all of a sudden he says he's going to live. He starts facing scrutiny and he soured, you know, he soured pretty quickly. He comes in here today as someone who's played very well in the masters. And most of the questions about live and anything else. And he just feels defensive and he hasn't played well this year. I mean, this guy should be a contender, and I just don't think he's going to contend under these circumstances. And you look at Mickelson. Mickelson in the, he loves, usually Mickelson is just verbose when he's at the Masters. He loves talking. He loves putting himself on the stage, and he loves playing here, and he's defensive. I just have trouble believing those guys are going to play their best under these circumstances. If there is a live golfer, if there are live golfers who are going to play that well this week, um, I would think they're either going to be Dustin Johnson just because – Dustin doesn't think about anything. So he's not going to have any stray thoughts getting in the way. He doesn't have any thoughts getting in the way. Um, And Brooks Koepka is the kind of guy who can, you know, he's kind of like the Michael Jordan type who can invent, who can invent an adversary to rail against. So he can, you know, Koepka is the kind of guy who can say, okay, yeah, I did the wrong thing, but you're criticizing me before. Therefore I'm going to win despite you. Right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, those are the two guys I could see uh, not being too negatively affected by all the live talk. Now, is no the live tour. Obviously, we, we've made a lot about the rivalry, but the golf itself is just not to me as challenging. And right. does, does that does that play into this at all? I mean, these guys just haven't been maybe mentally tested in the same way as some of the PGA Tour guys. I mean, maybe that's overblown, but just wondering that about that out loud, whether that becomes a factor. I don't think that's overblown. Um, you know, PGA Tour pros play four rounds. They have to play well enough to make the cut to make to earn money or significant money. Um, they play difficult courses. They and that's just not happening on the Live Tour. They're playing lesser courses. They're playing no cut golf. They're playing three rounds. They're playing these weird team things that nobody really understands or cares about. That you know, I I, I think it's a big factor. I I just can't imagine that Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson are are as prepared to play the Masters as they would be in a normal season where they were just on the PGA Tour. 
A couple final things, Jim. One, I mean, uh, local our local won uh, won the par three. Now it doesn't bode well for his uh, his chances in the Masters because they've the par three champ has never won. But that's that's a that's a nice uh, a nice thing for Tom Hoagie. Really cool thing, and it probably shows you that he's not too nervous, which I think fits his personality. I don't think he's a nervous guy. Uh, the other thing, it it does speak to him his game. He is an excellent iron player. Um, you know, he, he certainly hits it fine off the tee and he can certainly putt well enough to win a tournament, but he, his real strength is iron play. And that showed up yesterday. And I'll also, uh, I'll out myself. I I'll admit this. I, when I first started coming, come, come to the masters in the mid two thousands, I would cover the par three tournament, or at least kind of walk amongst people and try to keep an eye on things. And the crowds have gotten immense. You can't get anywhere near huh. anything. So I have, I just blew off yesterday. I, I, didn't even really pay attention to th- I filed all my other stuff and I did some reading and I look up and Tom Hoagie won. I didn't watch a single shot of it. <laughs> it's okay. He'll, uh, he'll have a chance in the real thing starting today, but um, he's not among the favorites. We'll, we'll be honest about that. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about the field itself before we go. And then Scotty Scheffler trying to repeat that's only been done. He's trying to become the fourth person to repeat and, you know, maybe has as good chances as any recent champ to do it just because of where his game's at. What, what makes him so good and who, who is, who are, who else is in that mix with him right now? I mean, he, to me, he, even if it wasn't for history, if it wasn't for the fact that hardly anybody ever repeats, I think he'd be the overwhelming favorite. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I was, I, I have dinner with the Atlanta writers at their house on Wednesday nights for the masters. And, and I, we ended up having a fantasy draft and I, had the first pick and I took Scheffler. Um, yeah. He hits it high, he hits it long. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, you want to be able to hit it high, long enough, and land it soft enough that you can hit a long club into 13 or 15 or 8. Um, you want to be have the nerves that will allow you to uh, handle the occasional bad bounce or piece of bad luck here. You have to be able to get up and down from anywhere. You have to be smart enough and strategic enough to know where to miss uh so combination of hitting it high and far being able to work it both ways and having a phenomenal short game and having nerves uh, and I, th- I thought the most interesting thing about last year's masters was scheffler on saturday night uh said hey you know i'm, I'm he just acted really cool and calm then after he won the tournament he admitted that he woke up on sunday morning he was like crying and, and just like almost had the shakes uh yeah for him to for him to a, be able to get past that and come out and play well enough to to dominate the, the tournament says a lot. B, the fact he's willing, he's he's comfortable enough with himself to admit that. Yeah, uh, is I think a really fascinating insight into him. He's he, I I I, I always hesitate to say these guys are down to earth. Be so you know they fly private jets and they, right. they live among the elite. He's he might be the rare person I actually believe when people tell me he's really down to earth, the way he lives, the way, you know, he he isn't looking for bling. He isn't looking for attention. He just loves playing golf and has a great temperament for the game. I just think he should be the favorite here. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it all sorts itself out starting today. Jim, we'll talk to you one more time tomorrow. Go, uh, go enjoy the golf and uh, we'll, we'll get you. We'll get you again soon. Great. Thanks, Michael. Always appreciate chatting with Jim. Suhan does a great job covering all sorts of stuff, but in particular golf. 
Um, you should follow his coverage, StarTribune, StarTribune.com, if you are interested in the Masters, because he will have you covered in very, very good shape from that tournament. So follow along, like I said, StarTribune, StarTribune.com, with Jim Suhan's coverage. Twins, by the way, played and lost their second straight game. Started out 4-0, 0-2 since then, but continue to get great starting pitching. Just keep that in mind in the context of my conversation with Lavelle E. Neal that I'm about to share with you here. He and I recorded, I think I even noted it while we were while we were recording, and he might have brought it up a couple times. We recorded Wednesday before that last game of the Marlins series, just timing that was the way we could do it. So you know, anything we talk about does not include that game. I think most of the things still hold up. The starting pitching has been great. Pablo Lopez was really good again yesterday. Just things fell apart in the late innings. Um, Miami ended up winning that game. So um, keep that in mind in the context of this conversation with Lavelle E. Neal III. Happy as always to get Lavelle E. Neal III on Daily Delivery to talk about a bunch of different things. Lavelle just came off of vacation. Sounds like he had a good time um, whilst out west. And uh, Lavelle, in the, just in the time that it took me to introduce you, I think the Twins might have finished another game. Oh, God, yes. Uh, that is the fastest game I remember since I think Carl Pavano pitched at home. And it may have been against the White Sox. It may have yeah, been it was, Burley. I think it was Pavano Burley, yeah. And there was a dangerous storm on the way. Yes. And I think that game got done in like 147 or 151 or something like that. They definitely and, beat two hours in that game, yeah. And everybody was able to get home before the, the bad storm hit. Um, yes. Yeah, I've only covered a few. I can't remember the game, number of games I've covered that have been under two hours. Uh, Tim Belcher did it in Toronto once when I covered the Royals. Uh, another Twins pitcher did it uh, also in Toronto. There was another two-hour game because, I mean, that's the night I got hit in the head by uh, Paul Bonner's, uh wife. <coughs> Not Destiny, but uh, uh, Linda, because I mentioned her in a, store, a notebook <laughs> item that she had fallen <laughs> off the table. And oh, hit no. her head, and Molly had to leave the ballpark to go take care of her. And she got, she was mad because I mentioned her name in the paper. <laughs> we had this fast game by the, the Twins. Uh, Matthew Lacroix hit a grand slam. I remember that? And sounds like a sounds like a Carlos Silva start, maybe. I, he, I, I worked out. I worked out a deal with the Twins to pay for them to, so I could ride on the charter flight coming back from Canada. Wow. And I'm sitting in my seat, and all of a sudden I hear a whack in the back of my head, and it's Linda Molitor. Why would you put my name in the paper? <laughs> God. So the the amazing things that come to my mind when I start thinking about two hour games. Two hour games. So that's that shows you how rare they are. I mean, but maybe not, yeah. maybe not anymore. I mean, all of the Twins games, and we're recording Wednesday before they play their final game in Miami. But all the all the first five games have all been like two thirty five or less. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. It's going on across the league too, and yes. fans can be happy. Uh, you know, fans can be happy, but the alcoholics are going to be mad because now they have they have less time to drink. You know, so um, that that's led to a conspiracy theory that they'll get rid of the clock because teams want people to be in the ballpark three hours so they can drink more. Um, I think this is better. I mean, if you're a Twins fan, you have seen the games when the once the clock strikes ten o'clock, regardless, a lot of times regardless of what the score is. Families are getting up and leaving the ballpark because yeah. they got kids who's like, we got to go to work. We got to go to school tomorrow. 10 o'clock is it. Or they'll stay and wait until Mauer bat it. Yeah. And then we leave. Back in the day. Yeah. yeah. So um, I I still think this is a good thing. I can't wait to the first time there is a 630 game. Or is it was a six o'clock game uh, weekday at Target Field before school lets out. And it goes an hour and fifty-seven minutes. That means we're done before eight o'clock. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's and it's you know, 
and more so than the benefits to us or to you know people leaving the game i feel like it's it's not if anything it's helping the the game itself there's just less dead space and and hopefully it's not like speeding people up so much that they're kind of out of their out of their element and there's probably going to be some adjustment to it but i it feels like the players by and large like have have pretty quickly adapted to it right like they they seem like they're on board with this yeah i think they have adapted it won't take long for them to to get on board although i saw manny machado got the thrown out of a game yesterday i believe because he complained about being charged a strike for not being in a batter's box and being attentive to the pitcher attentive to the pitcher yes and then he got mad and got tossed from the game so there's still some some growing pains with that um but at the same time i saw that rocco mentioned in the paper today that he thinks one of the reasons why maeda had to come out of the game because of the pace of the game was going so fast you know trying to recover you know it's weird. We don't. I, I. I. All I saw. I saw Maeda shaking his arm. I saw the trainer going out, and then I saw Maeda rubbing his right forearm as he left the mound. I'm like, that's not a good sign. So now, are they confident that's just scar tissue, and they're going? Kenta's going to be fine. No, yeah. I totally expect Maeda to be skipped in his next turn in the rotation, at least. Um, and then they'll have a spot starter. Maybe Cole Sands will take that that spot um, for Maeda, and then. We'll see how he feels, you know, in a couple of weeks or so, because there's no way that all of a sudden you just stop everything unless there's scar tissue breaking up in there that we don't know. Yeah, well, that's true. But, you know, that that moment aside, um, first time through the rotation when they gave up three runs, the starters gave up three runs in the first five starts and they, they didn't give up anything in the first two with uh, with Lopez and then. Uh, you know, and, and then uh, obviously Sonny Gray, and then you know Joe Ryan was pretty good, six innings, just one run. I mean, the, the, what we thought was going to be the strength of this team so far, plus a lot of Joey Gallo bombs, has, has kind of been the case. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it, it's been really encouraging to see. Um, fans are still complaining about Rocco not pulling pitches too early. I'm like, look, <laughs> you guys should be cultured baseball viewers now. Let's just wait as wait to the end of the month, which pitchers are allowed to throw 100 pitches in a game. Right. I mean, Sandy Alcantara, well, you're going to Alcantara stayed nine innings. He didn't throw 100. His last pitch was like the pitch number 100. In those situations, I could see it. You know, early in the year, you're still building up your, your pitchers. And uh, usually that first two months, you're being careful. Then the middle two months, you're letting them go. And if they go 110, you know, 115, yeah. But then, you know, once you get to August and September, you taper down. I mean, that's... That's a that's the way a lot of pitching coaches operate. The one thing I was encouraged about with Maeda yesterday, because I got up this morning and got on Statcast to look up numbers. Um, since joining the Twins, um, Maeda's fastball usage usage just dropped significantly. I mean, he was yeah. throwing his fastball forty percent of the time with the Dodgers. Comes to the Twins, it dropped to like under twenty percent. So I'm watching the game with friends yesterday, and I'm going. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't want to call him a junk baller, but it seems like he's trying to throw everything but a fastball right now. And when he does, it's like 90. I think it's fast. I think he topped 92 on the gun. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. And it's about a half, mile and a half, two hour, two miles an hour slower than we've seen. We saw him touch 94 with the Twins. But I got a stat cast today. <clears throat> he threw, I think he threw 19% of his pitches were forcing fastballs. And I looked at his last good year, which was 2020, and he threw 17, 18%. Okay. You know. Uh, a, a fastball. So basically, his usage is uh, was about the same. He throws that slider more, especially left-handers now, than he did uh, before he came to the. Than he did before, when he was with the Dodgers. 
and he's been effective. So basically, Maeda was throwing about the same way he did when he first came to the organization. They had that great boffle year in 2020. Right. So I'm a little encouraged by that. Um, I don't know. There was one picture. I don't know if you saw it, Mike. I put on Twitter. It was on our website, too. And it was a picture of Maeda uh, delivering a pitch. It was right before he released it. And he had his eyes closed. Wow. And so I was like, he is just putting everything he's got into trying to get as much out of this pitch as he can. And that was a warning sign to me. But then I look at the stat cast and I was like, well, say made it. My eight is a couple of years ago. So I'm curious to see if he does get a couple of miles an hour back. To be honest with him, you, I'd be more concerned about his command uh, than Velo at this time because how yes. many 35 year olds are going to be able to throw as fast as they did three and three uh, when they were 32 or 31? So. Uh, I'd like to see the command come back, but he threw some nice breaking balls, some nice sliders that, you know, Marlins players chased. So let's see what he does against better competition. You know, um, the Hughes, he's got Houston. He's got the Yankees coming up seven games against the Yankees before this month is over. Um, you got some quality teams coming up. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but this was a, a positive step for, for Kenta. Yeah. We're going to learn a lot more about them against Houston and the Yankees. Like you're right. I mean, they, they, be, they've been beating up on, you know, certainly beat up on Kansas City, and then um, you know, pitching wise, holding the Marlins down early. And but you know, you got to beat those teams too. You got to, you you do have to take advantage of of what the schedule puts in front of you. And mm-hmm. I feel like they've done that to to a certain point so far. So definitely an encouraging start, uh, encouraging start for them. I like what I see. I'm, I'm more, you know, anytime you start four, no, you can just start getting optimistic but you were on them for you know 90 91 wins at the start and that does feel realistic once you see them once you see them one time through the rotation you're like man this it's as long as the health holds up there's not a lot of weaknesses there no and, and my thing is once you get to the the final three starters i think the twins are gonna have an advantage against a lot of teams in, in that they face you know right and it was um, and it was their five against the marlins one the other day essentially Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, because Pablo's back on the mound in about well, half an hour uh, yeah. uh, against the Marlins, and they're I'm sure the Marlins are shaking in their boots, like, "Oh no, we got to face the guy that we've watched pitch before." But yeah, um, I, I just like I like that depth, and I, I like their options too, because it, it takes you about eight or nine pitchers to get through through a, a season, and I like the fact that Ober, you know, can be called in. I like why I saw from Louis Varlin, Simeon Woods Richardson. I need to see more. I mean, he made one start. It was okay. You know, um, I don't, he's been traded a couple of times. So people have been betting on his, his upside, but I just see a guy who's more of a booth bonzer guy, you know, who's a, like Ugh. a number four guy, number five guy. Number two. Hey, booth bonzer had to start a playoff game for the twins. He had, <laughs> he had to, that was Lavelle. That was by default. He was there. Wasn't, was didn't he, didn't he end up being like their, the one, like their number two starter in 2006? Six. In yes. the playoffs, once, once Liriano Radke. got hurt and Radke was basically pitching on one shoulder ligament. And that's crazy because a lot of people, because there was some, there was a talk on Twitter a few days ago, this is the best twin starting five since when? And a lot of people went back to 2006. Yeah. Liriano and Radke, you know, uh, and so, Santana. Yeah. And Santana. Um, we saw what happened with, with that season, but um, yeah, um, you know, what, Woods Richardson is that number eight guy in the packing order. I can't complain. I think they still have Aaron Sanchez too. I think he agreed to go to uh, St. Paul as well. So he's got starting experience. So I, I like how they're set up because you're going to need about nine. Uh, hell, I think the twins had 14 different stars last year or something like They've that. They've had a lot. Yeah. You know, and you're going to need to get through a season. And so they're, they're in good shape. And 
Cole Sands can make an emergency start if he has to, too. I'm not a big Cole Sands guy. Um, I'm really just dis- I'm playing over a place here, but I'm really disappointed about Josh Winder. I really want yeah. to see Winder succeed as a starter. But once he gets over this recent injury, they're going to make him a reliever, which could be intriguing because he throws 96 as a starter. So if he's in shorter stints, he could be whiffing it at 98 as a reliever and being effective here. So, and it just comes to mind when uh, we were doing our interviews at the state fair, I had Derek Favio on in front of the crowd and he said 50% of players who are signed or drafted as a starter, make their first major league appearance as a reliever. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds about right. You know, once you think about it, because it's so hard to get stars through a Marley system and get to the point where they can throw 200 innings a year. Cause that doesn't happen anymore. I just, I'm just amazed at Sandy Al- Alcantara. I love watching him pitch. Yeah. And they let him go. I think he's led the league innings throw in the last two years. He was a Cy Young winner last year. Uh, I wish the Twins would have traded for him instead of Pablo. Yeah, Lopez. good luck. Good it luck with that. It wasn't feasible. No, good luck with that. Well, they did pretty well, it seems like. I mean, so so far, so good. Let's push to the Wolves for a bit. They lose to the Blazers on Sunday. Um and you and you were out probably out in Vegas around that time. And that was the largest upset in terms of point spread. 19 and a half that game went out at because the Blazers are clearly in tank mode. 19 and a half at that point, And they lose to the Blazers largest upset against the spread in 30 years for a team that was that, that much of an underdog. And then they go out Tuesday night and beat the nets in, in Brooklyn and kind of put themselves back in a spot where top eight feels a lot more feasible. I, I can't figure this team out. Nobody's been able to figure this team out all year, except for the fact that they don't seem like they take some opponents seriously. And then they're able to kind of turn it on just enough to, to keep you interested. Well, keep me, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. So now they've lost to the Blazers. I know they lost to the Pistons. I'm pretty they're, sure they've lost to the Magic. They're four, Lavelle, they're four and seven <laughs> against the teams in this league that haven't won at least 30 games. The four worst teams in this league this year, they've gone four and seven. Four and seven. They got swept by the Pistons, swept by the Hornets. I think they're one and two against the Spurs, and they're three and one against right. the Rockets. It's it's terrible. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. It's aggravating. And this is why I'm I'm advocating for this season to end. You know, I because you know one they don't still know, they don't know what they are still because of the no. injury to Cat and from the shifted point guard from D'Lo to Conley, they're still trying to figure out who they are and what they are. And there's not enough time for them to find that out as the as the postseason arrives. Two, they've been aggravating. You yes. know, um, they'll step up against good teams. You know, I, I made some – it seemed like a wacky prediction at the time. I wanted my 3-2 pitches. I said they're going 4-1 in this West Coast swing. And a lot of that was predicated on them beating – I forgot. They lost their first game. It may have been the That was Lakers the one a few game. weeks ago, right? The kind of saved right. their season. Yeah. But then they, they turn around. They beat the Clippers. Beat the Clippers, and they yep. beat Sacramento. Yeah. <laughs> and they ended up hitting 4-1 four, four on four one on the spot. Oh, it was Golden State. I said they got to beat Golden State because they were still out some players and, and they lost that game. But then they won the next three. Or right. Next, and then 4-1 on that trip. So um, so they step up against good teams and they play down to the bad teams. And we just don't know. We can't. What can it, What can you hang your head on about this team? Uh, are they a great rebounding team? I'm not sure. Are they a no. great defensive team? Not sure. They can they be great offensive team. They no. can be. They're not but a great offensive be. team. Well, with Ant, you, you, Ant's, and that's the thing about Ant. Um, the, he one thing he has to work out. This is my opinion too, and I'm biased because I watched Michael Jordan as a kid. Um, the thing about Mike was that when he needed to get his game going, 
he would go to the mid range game and he would go to the elbow jumpers and he would go to the, the down to the foul, the baseline and shoot 15 footers. Ant starts missing threes and he's like, I'm determined to hit a three and he keeps throwing down from three. I think he needs to start focusing. Try let's let's get close to the basket, see if I can get in a rhythm that way, and then go after going in, and then go back out. And he's like, I gotta shoot this three. I missed it. I'm gonna shoot three. I'm gonna keep shooting threes and try to hit one. And I'm like, man, you gotta understand your your, your abilities and your limitations. And sometimes it's just gonna be like Max Kepler against a shift. There's no shift now. That first ground ball he's gonna hit that goes to the right side of the infield for a hit. It's gonna be a mental boost for him, just yeah. like Ant. Get to the get to the free throw line. Hit an elbow jumper a couple of times, then get your game going. Now, what's your what's your minimum like to to frame to frame the wolf season? And let's talk wild a little bit too in the context to to frame those as successful at this point. What what needs to happen? The wolves at least to me need to get into the actual playoffs, not just the play in. If you if all you do is go play in and you're done. That was a that's a colossal failure based on where you started the year with the Gobert trade. And I think the Wild, in order for this to be a success, I think they got to win a playoff series. I don't think I don't think getting to the playoffs with this team and then losing in the first round in a competitive series, which they've already done twice, I don't think that's enough. I think you got to at least win a playoff series with if you're the Wild. Right. I, mean, I try to I try to make these playoff runs stand alone in our own and not worry about what's happened in the past. But we do live in a town in which the baseball team has lost 18 consecutive playoff games. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it, it, I know they run up against the Yankees in a lot of those situations and that hasn't helped. And they were up against the Astros, you know, in 2020 and they were a good team. You know, uh, they probably weren't favored in a lot of those games either. But still, you should be able to pull off a victory here or there. Um, but that said, um, I've seen the wilds work in progress. And I think Bill Garrison did a great job of like adding here and there to make the roster better. I was screaming about them getting bigger before the trade deadline. And he was able to bring in a couple, you know, nice size guys, which is going to help. Um, there's a, there's a rumor that Kaprizov may be ready to play here pretty soon. Yeah. So he skated we get, today. He skated yeah, on Wednesday. We, we'll, we'll get to see how it all looks here with, once again, we get to see what it looks like with, with Kaprizov and the, and the new players they've added. Right. But I like that. They're a little bit bigger. There's a little more grit because they run up in the postseason. They run to these bigger teams and it seems like it gives them trouble. I think they're better equipped to deal with that now than they were uh, in recent postseason. So I, I, I would like to see them win at least one playoff series, but they have been threatening to take over the Western conference lead, you know? Yeah. Um, so yes, our expectation should be win at least a playoff series and then possibly even be in a position to upset someone. So yeah, I, think uh, that's I, fair. I agree with the wolves. It's so hard because you know after the Gobert trade, I was like, this team should win at least fifty games a year. Me too. Yeah, that's what I was. Th- that's exactly where yeah. I was. Yeah, and well, of course, we know that they're going to be short of that. Um, yeah. and and I, once again, they get part of a pass because Cat was out for so long with the mysterious calf injury. But at the same time, um, I didn't see them play as a cohesive unit without Cat. No, uh, not at all. Sporadically, it happened once in a while, but it was sporadic. So, um. I just I just sense that they don't know who they are. And and that's why I kind of want the season to end so they can kind of <laughs> recalibrate and get ready for the next season. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is a big off season for them. Whenever whenever the off season arrives, they got some big decisions to make. Do they feel like they can improve enough internally with this core and and see, you know, try to see what has worked with this group? when everyone's been healthy or did they got to pull the plug on something? Is that a cat trade? I don't know what it is exactly, but 
I think this is going to be a big off season for them. Of course, we're not we're not there yet, but uh, that that's going to be interesting. And these, I don't, we're not going to judge it on these last two games, but this is going to tell us something. Like how what what they do in crunch time here is going to tell us something. I think about their trajectory going forward. I, I agree. I mean, that's a, that's a fair point too, uh, since all hands are now on deck, and um, you know, regardless if they have to get out of the play-in situation, or, or is there a chance they can still get out of play-in? I think there is, right? Oh yeah, yeah, they got yeah, a chance to chance- be. Yeah, they got six, a they got right? a slim chance of being top six. They've got a decent right. chance now of being top eight at least and having two cracks at the play in. So Yeah. So I, I I mean, um this this will help how they play in pressure games. And of course, <laughs> remember last year when he got to the playoff game and won and they right. party like it was nineteen ninety nine and I yeah. got mad at everybody and people are mad at me for let us have some happiness because we <laughs> That's right. I remember we that. have reasons to be happy. You know, I was like, Well, where to get you? Where did it get you? Yeah. <laughs> it get you out in the series against Memphis. So Memphis. Um, I God, I, I want this team to thrive because I think that this I, I keep running into people who say this is a hockey town. This is a hockey town. I'm like, no, this is a hell of a basketball town yeah. when the Gophers or the or the Wolves are going yeah. good. People are percent. flocking in the stadium yeah. and getting fired up. And yeah, both teams, you know, have, have been well, the Gophers definitely at rock bottom. Uh, but the Wolves have kind of been dormant for the last few years. You know, when you go to what three playoff series in 15 years, is that where we're at now? Two or three? Yeah, it's, uh, two, just the two since the Western Conference Finals run, the Butler year yeah, and you, then the one last year. You have forced your fan base to go into hiding, you know? And I want them to come back out and be happy that uh, there's a team that's worth getting behind because I, I know this is a state of hockey. This is a hell of a basketball town. We're putting out great high school players that go to colleges and play well. Uh, we used to have a good college basketball program, and the next good one may be St. Thomas. But <laughs> the Wolves, you know, the Wolves are the team that should be stepping up here and bringing glory to this area and getting people in love with basketball again. Couple final thoughts, Lavelle. One, I keep seeing Hendon Hooker's name mocked to the Vikings at twenty-three, the quarterback from Tennessee. Uh, he showed up in uh, in Todd McShay's most recent mock draft, and that's that's you know, again, I don't know if this is steam coming from all the same places if this is smokescreen if this is just guys identifying a, a need for the vikings and a, and a player that might be available there but it's awfully interesting to see him showing up in three or four different mock drafts in the last couple of weeks I, I don't know what to make of it <sighs> head and hookers 25 he, he led the led college football i think in total qbr like he's he's a good player in a unique system i don't know i don't know what to make of that i like him hooker more I like anthony richardson i didn't even know who the hell anthony richardson was before you know, all of a sudden, uh, uh, mock draft started, and I all of a sudden now he's up in the top ten, top five. You know, Hendon Hooker before he got injured at least was a guy that you were like, you know what? It'd be interesting to see if he could play in the NFL. You know, and if the Vikings draft him, he'll have a year or two to uh, marinate behind Kirk Cousins, which isn't a bad thing. Which means he would be twenty-seven by the time he gets the starting job. I think he'd be a starter by twenty. He'd be started by the twenty-four season, so he'd be twenty-six, I think, in his twenty-six. Oh, yeah, so um, that may be a situation where some people may be a little nervous about. But again, when it, when you were, how was Carson Palmer? He played, I think, four, three years, four years at USC, sat for a year at Cincinnati, he ended up having a really good career. So uh, I'm all for it. Pat Mahomes sat for a year. You know, it's not the bad oh, yeah. thing. I think the biggest I think the biggest concern people have with someone who's that age is that he's been putting up numbers against guys younger than him. Not that he's old that no coming into the league. Yeah, that there's no more upside. I mean, that's the Stetson Bennett argument, you know, because yeah. no one's looking at him as a 
he may be the tenth best quarterback coming out this year, but you know he's probably gonna end up in the third round, maybe. I don't know. Uh, and then all of a sudden you have a Brock Purdy situation where he slides to the end of the draft, he gets drafted. Like Brock Purdy, I saw him playing college. He's nothing. And also he gets to he gets right. to the NFL. But um, there's nothing like watching quarterbacks slide up the draft board as the draft approaches. Yes. Uh, you know, Hendon Hooker was not mentioned as a first round guy until like no, a couple but, weeks ago. But quarterbacks and, are so valuable. They're so valuable that they yeah. they, they just keep moving. Anthony Richardson was like a, a back end of the first round guy. And now he's sliding up in the top five. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, yes, quarterback position is so vital, but I think so many quarterbacks get overdrafted. You yeah. know, they just get overdrafted, man. And then once you start putting a first round pick designation on a the guy, then there's expectations. Then yep. your fan base is like, when's the first round guy going to play? When's he going to play? Right. Uh, my, my God, the, the Vikings drafted Kellen Mond. Third, they were like, third round guy, but yeah, still everyone's like, were, "When's yeah. he gonna play?" Yep. you're <laughs> right. Play? You're right. And it turned out he couldn't play. And yeah, got, yeah. I mean, Mike Zimmer was it was a damning um, indictment on Mon when late in the season. Like, are you go, are we going to see Mon? No, what? why not? He says, "I've seen enough of him." I've seen, <laughs> seen him every day in practice, basically. <laughs> yeah. and, well, and the new like, regime didn't keep him either, so it wasn't just Zimmer that didn't like him. Hey, uh, last thought, Lavelle, quick. Gophers going to win it all. Frozen Four. They got the semifinals Thursday night against BU. Are there? Is this the year? Oh, uh, I, I I hope so because I wrote about them from my New Year's Day package about teams that could be inspirational in 2023, and they were my first team. Um, that I mean, I'm glad that line of Snuggaroo, Snuggaroo Cooley and Maddie Nice is starting to get, um, you know, some love here because it's a fantastic line. And, yeah. You know, early in the season, Arizona State coach is like. This may be the best line in college hockey. And now the talk is this may be the best line in Gophers history, yeah. which to me supersedes best line in college hockey. Yes. Given the, given the Gophers history. Yes. Um, and I just remember I had the pleasure of covering the Olympics in 2022 in Beijing. And there's Maddie Nyes and there's Brock Faber. And yeah. I'm like, they're going back to college. This is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and they all went back and said, we want to make a run to the title. They're motivated. They, their desire is to win a championship. That's why these guys came back for one more year. Um, yes, you don't have to take ARs of classes and you're staying in an apartment and you're taking classes by right. video. Yeah, you have a great life right now. You know, but at the same time, they're there to just work on their game and get better. I mean, they keep saying Brock Faber is going to leave the tournament and then just somehow end up on the Wilds top six. <laughs> just blows my mind that the kids are going to come straight out of college and then get into the rotation but that tells you the talent he has yeah and the, the, the top line tells you the talent it has oh yeah and this this could be a glorious weekend for go for hockey fans and i hope it comes to him yeah I, I think it i think it's got a very good chance to but hockey's weird man it's like uh you know bounces hot goalie things like that but they've got every every bit as good of a chance as anybody else and so we'll see where the chips fall Lavelle, appreciate it as always. Go get go get some uh, rest and recovery time. A lot of good <laughs> sports to watch over the weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, the Twins coming on in 15 minutes, so I got to get in front of a TV. All right, Lavelle, see you. <laughs> Take care. Why don't we finish with the cooler right now? Two postscripts, quick ones to my conversation with Lavelle. Number one, Kirill Kaprizov did skate on Wednesday. Was wearing the yellow caution jersey with the Wild, so maybe his return 
coming fairly soon. Seems like he's ramping up at the very least. Just a few games left in the regular season five for the Wild, but definitely want to get him back as soon as he is ready to go full speed. So that's a good sign for the Wild that he's participating, even if he does have that yellow jersey on. And really enjoyed Randy Johnson's story on Gopher Hockey. Logan Cooley, the parallels between him and and, uh, and Thomas Vanek 20 years ago, the super freshman who perhaps will lead the Gophers to an NCAA title. Vanek did it 20 years ago. Cooley trying to be part of an excellent first line and an overall very deep team, this Gophers team, to win a championship. So go check out Randy's story. Check out Chip Scoggins' column, um, kind of trying to end that drought after 20 years. Very talented team. They play Boston University, the first game, first semifinal today. I think it's a late afternoon start, like 4 o'clock. So maybe knock off work a little early. Check that one out. And uh, if they are in the championship game, that would be Saturday night. That will do it for me. Going to go wall-to-wall on the Twins tomorrow with Phil Miller, talking all sorts of stuff, heading into the home opener Friday. Remember, that was postponed from today till tomorrow. Looks like it's an okay day out today, but still pretty chilly. Tomorrow looking a lot nicer. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Go look at the extended forecast. For once in your life, for once in the last few months, it is not a nightmare. It is a great thing. So go check that out. It's getting nice outside. Feels like spring is finally here. That'll do it for me today. Back at it again tomorrow.